Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. It's mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Hello and welcome to episode 124 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. My name is Tim Robertson. I'm the host of the podcast and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thanks for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it going. If you enjoy what you hear, you can donate to it via Patreon. You can give as little as $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And if you really like us, for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash Observer's Notebook. If you'd like to join the Alpo, membership begins at only $18 a year. And a reminder, it goes up to $24 after the first of the year. So if you want to join, now's the time. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And we're also on the Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And yes, this here podcast also has a Facebook page as well, not to be left out. Just search for Observer's Notebook. And if you enjoy what you hear, please subscribe. That way you'll never miss any episodes of the Observer's Notebook. And now, Observer Jupiter, I want to know a little bit more about it. Well, we're going to talk to Richard Shmoody, the coordinator of the Jupiter section in this Enjoy. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back to this edition of the Observer's Notebook podcast. Today we have a special guest, Richard Shimudi, the Assistant Coordinator of the Jupiter section of the, of the Alpo. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, now Richard, before we get into it, why don't you just give everybody a little bit of background about yourself? Okay, well, I received a, a PhD degree in chemistry back in 1994 in Texas A&M. Um, however, I've always had an interest in astronomy, and I already I have published had published a few papers back then, and um, 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 I came to Gordon State College. They hired me as a professor of chemistry, and that is my title. Actually, mm-hmm. I was assistant professor of chemistry, and I uh, worked myself up to full professor. And I've taught over the years chemistry and astronomy. They found out I had publications in astronomy, mm-hmm. and uh, so they let me teach the uh, introductory astronomy classes as well. And so I basically teach chemistry, um, astronomy with labs, and also something called integrated science, which is basically just a little bit of chemistry and physics. Um, it's a hands-on class oh, for good. Uh, early childhood education majors. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Now, how did you get involved with the Alpo? Um, it was back I, I, in 1981, and I would... I would go over to the library at Texas A&M and I would 
eagerly looked for Sky and Telescope magazine and I think mm -hmm. astronomy. And I came upon an article, I think it was written by Jeff Beach, um, the, the assistant Mars coordinator. Mm -hmm. And one thing led to another, and I joined the ALPO, and I'm pretty sure it was in the summer of 1981, which is 40 years ago, this, goodness. this summer. Huh. Now, what type of observing equipment do you have? Okay, I have telescopes, and I have what is called a photoelectric photometer. Basically, that is a very accurate light meter. And I've got different filters. So, for example, I can measure the brightness of Mars or Jupiter in green light and in blue light. And that gives me an idea of their colors. Mm -hmm. And, of course, of the all the planets that I've studied, all but Pluto, uh, Mars is the reddest. Mm -hmm. And Jupiter is sort of in the middle there. Okay. All right. It's got a little red spot, right? Is that, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> Jupiter, well, it's just sort of, Jupiter has a similar color to our sun. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, Saturn is actually a little redder than Jupiter. In fact, Saturn may be the second reddest planet. And uh, so, so, but um, hmm. anyway, it's interesting how, I mean, you can measure the colors with a photometer. And I've been doing photometry of Jupiter. Well, my first measurement was in 1991 or 92. And I've uh, been doing it pretty consistently since then. I think I had a few uh, lean years in the 1990s, but certainly mm -hmm. since 1999, I've been measuring the brightness of Jupiter, I think every year. Fascinating. Well, the reason we're here today is to talk about Jupiter, but on, I believe, August 19th of this year, 2021, it reaches opposition, which puts it in the evening sky for pretty much everybody. So what can you tell us about this opposition and the Jupiter section? Okay, well, first off, Jupiter will reach opposition um, mid-month. Bear in mind, it's still in the southern part of the sky. So unfortunately for us northern folks, people living in the northern hemisphere, Jupiter may not get up quite as early as we would like it to. And bear in mind, uh, we do have long days, so mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't really get dark probably until 9 to 9.30, I'm guessing, for, for uh, people living in, say, Los Angeles. And if you go up to, say, uh, Minneapolis, it may not get dark until close to 10 because they're even further north. Yeah, and true. so it's going to be a little bit latitude dependent. The people in the southern latitudes, going from San Diego, um, Dallas, Texas, Atlanta, are going to see Jupiter a little earlier than, say, somebody living in Minneapolis or Detroit. Okay. And it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty good opposition. One of the very interesting things is that the North Equatorial Belt, one of the two main belts, is very thin. And so you want to get a chance to take a look at that. That is going to be interesting. Now, why, why is it thin? Well, it probably has to do with the cloud dynamics on Jupiter. Okay. Again, I'm not sure anyone knows for sure. Um, 
But my guess is you've got clouds, perhaps high altitude clouds that are blocking the darker, lower altitude cloud belts. That's a possibility. I can't say that's happening. Um, but what's exciting is we have the technology now to gain insights on that, you know, with the CCD camera or mm -hmm. digital camera, along with the appropriate software, one can actually measure the brightness of individual features on Jupiter, not just the whole planet. And Christophe Pellier over in France, I believe he's going to attempt that this year. Oh this okay. Now, uh, so Jupiter's visible right now in, in the night sky. Have you started to receive observations already? Um, oh, yes, yes. I started receiving op observations in February, and oh. then I made my own, started making my own brightness measurements uh, April-ish. Okay. Um, it was probably mid-spring, and I've already got a fair number of, of uh, I think I've got 10 sets of near-infrared mesh brightness measurements of Jupiter. Okay. So what type of equipment do you suggest for people to use to start out making observations for the Jupiter section? Okay. Um, that's a difficult question because it depends on what the person wants to do. Uh, to just get familiar with Jupiter, the belts, the zones, mm -hmm. um, I'd start out with about a 6-inch or 8-inch reflector or Schmidt-Cassegrain telescope. That's what I started out with and just watched. Jupiter is rotates so fast that in just a few minutes, you can notice a difference. It's not like Mars that rotates a lot slower. You can see a difference in 10 minutes. Yeah, the you planet know? rotates in about 10 hours, doesn't it? That's right. That's yeah. right. And, 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 and one of the things I did starting out was I would record when a feature was exactly in the center that's and i would record the time and you'd get the time in nearest minute and uh if you collect enough of these timings over say three months you can determine the rotational period of that feature for example the great red spot mm -hmm. now of course a lot of people today though would prefer to jump right into imaging and what I would suggest they do, they don't need a super big telescope. Um, um, uh, even a four inch, you can do really good starting up work with a four inch telescope and a good CCD or digital camera. And what you can do is take an image, put it on your computer, and you can actually, with the correct software, and there's several software packages, I believe Max and DL is one of them, um, but there's several of them. You can actually get brightness measurements of the main belts and zones. Hmm. And this has almost not been done. And really, this is one of the things I really want to see happen. Okay. Now, what about visual observations? Visual, okay, well, I don't have too many people doing visual observations. One of the things I would like to see, uh, I believe Brian Kudnick's been doing this. I've got a, somebody from Italy I think is doing it, um, is to estimate the, the, what I call the intensity of the various features on a scale of 0 to 10. Okay. And what I do is I set a value of 0 for white, 
and a value of 10 for black. So in other words, if a, if a feature is sort of light gray, it might have an intensity of four. Mm -hmm. But sort of a dark gray, it might have an intensity of six or seven. Yeah, in the Alpo training program, we call that the zero to 10 gray scale. That's, yeah, that's, zero to 10 gray scale. That's part of our training. Yes, yeah, very good. And it's, it's the only problem with intensities is the BAA, the British Astronomical Association, and the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers have opposite. In other words, for one, it's zero is black, and the other zero ah. is light. Um, and I, in my reports, always call it light intensities. Okay. That way I'm sort of telling the, the people of the British Astronomical Society, Association, this is our scale. And actually it was light, the, the term light intensity was proposed by a BAA member. So again, I like to, to, to kind of be on sync, especially with the BAA. They've been doing this for a long time and uh, they were formed in 1890. Wow. So, They've got they've got to speak by a few years. Let's put yeah, it that way. Well, we're coming up on seventy five years, so that's <laughs> yes, yes. We'll be seventy five years next next March, I think. Yep, I believe so. Yeah. Now, what type of observing programs are within the Jupiter section? Okay, well, right now, uh, again, people can come up with their own observing programs. Um, you don't have to follow what everyone else is doing. The uh, the three main observing programs are first off brightness measurements. I'm basically the only one doing that right now. Okay. Um, we've got imaging. Now imaging is important because I can basically measure images and measure longitudes of different features and then determine rotational periods or drift rates for those features and that's how fast they're moving. That's a program. Um, I can also, from imaging, look for how ovals interact. For example, in 2019, there was a series of spots on the south equatorial belt that mm -hmm. would come in near the great red spot. And what happened was pieces of the great red spot, little red pieces, would actually come off. They were called flakes. Hmm. And uh, very interesting. I'm not sure this has ever been observed before. It probably has happened before, but the thing is, we have such good images today compared to, say, 35 years ago. And a lot of these types of discoveries are made by amateur astronomers, too. Yes. Um, in fact, occasionally an amateur or a couple of amateurs will image Jupiter at the same time and they'll see a flash of light at the same time. Hmm. And these are believed to be rocks from outer space, approximately the size of a house hitting Jupiter. Wow. And of course, when something that big hits Jupiter, it creates a flash mm -hmm. and a huge explosion on Jupiter. But of course, from Earth, we're going to see a flash. Yeah. One of the most remarkable things I ever saw through my telescope was years ago, Shoemaker-Levy, uh, when, yeah. when it slammed into Jupiter, and it left a bunch of little black dots across the, the face of Jupiter. It was pretty amazing to see live. That's right. Now, we didn't actually see the explosions. Um, 
The only exception that I believe Galileo did see an explosion, um, but Galileo mm-hmm. was a spacecraft that was on its way to Jupiter, and it was coming at a totally different angle than right. from Earth. And That's true. You can Google that if you want to. I think you can Google that on the yeah. computer. And show that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what if you mentioned the uh, North Equatorial Belt is dimmer than normal? It's thin. Then okay okay then what other features have changed with this apparition? Okay, um, keep an eye on the great red spot. That seems to always be changing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then other than that, um, this apparition I would keep an eye on the satellites because they're undergoing mutual events. And if you can image a satellite as it is transiting Jupiter, that can be useful, particularly if you're using near-infrared light. I'm not sure we have, you know, the, the Voyager spacecraft imaged the moons of Jupiter mm-hmm. close up. But I don't think, I don't know if we have any near-infrared light images. And, of course, that would add something to what we know about the moons if we can get that. Okay. So transiting as they pass across uh, the front of the planet? Yes, as they cross in front of the planet. Yes, okay. not behind. Right, right. Okay. So uh, what are some of the significant things or discoveries that have been made by amateurs when it comes to Jupiter? Okay. Well, first off, the most, I think the, the one of the biggest discoveries was um, the uh, back in 2009, a, a probably about a 500 meter or oh, 16, 1700 foot object slammed into Jupiter, creating a dark area that was discovered by Anthony, I believe Anthony Wesley over in Australia. Very important discovery there. Hmm. Um, I believe another big discovery has been this flaking event of the Great Red Spot. Now, this has just been in the last two years. Yeah, I don't remember hearing anything about that. That's interesting. Well, it's going to be in my 2018-2019 uh, Jupiter report. Oh, okay. Hopefully that'll be out later this year. But that's a very significant event. I yes. think that's much bigger than Oval BA turning orange. Mm-hmm. Um, now, another thing, and again, this may not be a dis- this may not be something new, but Oval BA has a very thin dark ring. And it's interior. And I actually talk about this in, uh, I think, my 2015, 2016 Jupiter report. And I think 16, 17 has been published, too. But that's been persistent for a while now. So, and again, it's only the really high-resolution images show that. Okay. But that's sort of interesting. Another thing that I think is, um, I point this out, I believe it's 2018, roughly, uh, give or take a year. Um, in methane band light, you can image the bright area around the south polar area and bright area around the north polar area. And I believe it's the south polar area. That feature seems to change with Jupiter's seasons. Really? Yes, there's a correlation. And you can read it in my uh, I think it's 2017, 2018, but it may be 2018, 2019 report. And I'm not sure. I don't think the 2018, 19 report has been published, but I feel that's an important um, correlation. And again, we need more data to really nail this down. 
but I have a feeling we have some seasonal changes taking place on Jupiter. And again, these uh, methane bright clouds, they're high up in the atmosphere, so seasons are going to have a bigger effect on them. Hmm. Okay. Now you mentioned published. Uh, I assume they're published in the Journal of the Apo. Yes. Yes. Okay. Do you publish them anywhere else, or just it's just there? For Jupiter, um, the only exception is is the uh, brightness measurements. A um, couple of, for, uh, a prof- I believe, a professional astronomer, or a couple of professional astronomers, and myself have published some Jupiter brightness work okay. um, in uh, Icarus and I believe in uh, one of the nature journals too. Okay. So, um, um, so anyway, um, um, but other than that, and of course, very early on before I became coordinator, I did publish a couple, two or three papers in the journal of the Royal Astronomical Society of Canada back Oh, 1990s. Okay. All right. But the Journal of the Oppo is where every section really uh, publishes their reports. So it's, it's, it's really a nice resource to see what's yes. going on and what was observed in the past. Yes. Yes. And, and thankfully, or, or fortunately, we've got Jupiter reports going back continuously, every apparition since 1986. Hmm. And, uh, I know we've got some earlier reports in the 60s, 1960s, and maybe 1970s. So we've really got a good track record. And these earlier Jupiter reports can be examined online. Just go to the uh, ALPO website, and I think it's section galleries and then publications. Yeah. And you can examine those. They're, they're, there's, they, they did a lot of good work even back in the 60s, but... Uh, you know, we've got the the images. I mean, typical Jupiter apparition today. We've got over a thousand high quality images, better than anything done um, in the 1960s. Yeah, I look at some of these images that we're publishing, and I'm just I, I have to check myself to see if they're Hubble, if they're uh, you know a spacecraft, <laughs> or they're yeah. Damien or they're Damien Peach. You know, <laughs> I, to... I know it. I know it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Damien Peach. Is amazing, yes. um, and there's a few others too. Um, yes, there are. There's quite there's a few. Bolaviti over in Thailand really does some good work as well, um, and even Clyde Foster in South Africa. Mm, yes, um, he's so consistent too. Very good, very good. So you've been involved with the Jupiter section for a number of years. What what do you see? What would you like to see for the future of the Jupiter section? Okay, what I'd like to see is. Uh, Disc, what I call disc resolved brightness measurements using digital cameras. Um, we've been using the eye for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's actually technically a disc resolved brightness measurement. That's where you estimate the brightness of individual features, not the whole disc. Um, but people have the cameras now. And I know there's people who've got great computer skills. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I'm a little lacking in that area. I will admit that. But I know there's great programmers out there. And all we need is to, to put the two together. Great imaging, even not so great imaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but you put in the software and, and, and 
you can actually say, okay, the North Equatorial Bright Belt um, has a brightness of 0.51, and the Equatorial Zone has a brightness of 0.57, mm. something like that, and actually get quantitative brightness measurements, you know, with a number, not just, oh, it's gray or right. light brown. Uh, we can actually get a number, and of course, if we use like a green filter and then a blue filter, we can get different numbers for different filters. We can get quantitative color measurements from, you know, of the various features on Jupiter. You know, for example, the great red spot, is it getting redder? Well, people look at it through the telescope from year to year. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be nice to have a number. Um, and you can see the trend with the numbers. There you go. And that's what I like to say. Of course, we can also get polarization measurements of Jupiter. Um, and we can get polarization measurements of individual belts. Um, um, Aduad and Dolophus, who unfortunately just passed away a few years ago. He did this visually for decades, um, particularly for Mars. He did a lot of great work and would be nice to see this continued. I mean, he used a visual polarimeter, but of course now it would even be better to, to use a digital camera polarizing filter and get good polarization data. Yeah. And this that, is something we can do. Yeah. And there's so much value to observing the planets and Jupiter. I mean, it's it's relatively easy to image. I've seen images yeah. taken with an iPhone just yeah. held up, just held up to the eyepiece, and they do yeah. a little manipulation with some software to bring out some of the details. I mean, yeah. it's that it's that simple, but also you you have to put in some work on the back end to bring out the quality of the detail. But, you know, anyone out there listening to this podcast, you have, you probably have the equipment right now to start. Yes. Yes. Serving Jupiter. Of course, if you're uh, one of these information technology people, um, the the computer software shouldn't be a problem. And, wow, you've got some great images and you've got great scientific data that, as far as I know, even the professionals don't have. Yeah, and, and any observation is valuable. It really yeah. is. I mean, even if it's you're looking through your telescope and you see something and you write it down, yes. you don't take an image, and you see something out of the ordinary, you send that into the Jupiter section, and we will you know, get back to you, to, to you with it or find out a little bit more information as well. But yeah. what, we're, what we're doing is science with amateur telescopes, and, you know, it, it's – Anybody could do it. Anyone listening to this podcast right now can can do that and add value and science to to the, our knowledge and understanding of the planets. I agree. Yeah. Now, anything else you'd like to share about the Jupiter section? Um. Yes, we've got roughly fifty people who are contributing to the ALPO um, section. As far as I know, Jimmy Tommy is um, uploading images to the website. Mm-hmm. I believe we've already got bunch of images for the 2021-2022 apparition. So to keep sending the images in, um, of course, make sure you include an accurate date and time um, in your name so we can give you credit and, and also an email address. That way, if we have questions, uh, we can get back to you as well. Great. 
Great. And if you're, if people are interested in doing visual observing, there's also visual observing forums available where they can sketch what they see on the planet as well. Yeah. I, I hope those are on the website. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are. Good, good, good. In fact, I need to do a little bit of that myself. Yes, you do. <laughs> In uh, the evening sky. Um, I, I'm going to try to do some, I did some last year, um, in the evening, you know, and, uh, with the pandemic, you know, I was right. kind of you know, a little restricted and, uh, I can go outside and yeah. go in my backyard. So yeah, that's, yeah just keep looking up. Yeah. Keep looking. Uh, that's good advice. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a good hobby to have, especially when you can't do anything else. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, Richard, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. Okay. You're welcome. My pleasure. All right. And we will be in touch. Thanks a lot. Okay. Okay, Tim. That'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook Podcast. I again want to thank uh, Jupiter Section Coordinator Richard Schmoody for coming on and giving us a little lowdown on what's going on on Jupiter. We upload new episodes of the Observer's Notebook on the 1st and 15th of every month. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you do, please, please rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating. I really appreciate it. And you can also listen to us on Apple Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. If you like the podcast and you want to support us, you can do it via Patreon by giving up to $35 a month, where you receive one year's membership to the Alpo and producer credits on the podcast. With that, I want to thank the producers of this podcast, Steve Seedentop and Michael Moyer, for their continued generous support. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the Alpo, is in the show notes. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my email address is cometman at cometman.net or on the Twitter at at observersnbpod. Until next time, my hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>